Greetings. You have wandered upon Broomstay Witchery, a podcast that explores all things pagan. My name is Sabrin Whitethorn, and I'll be your guide. So grab yourself some tea and come talk a spell with me. Growing up in Colorado, it wasn't uncommon some years to see snow in April or May. That seems almost impossible to those who live here in Alabama, where in April our temperatures go up to the high 70s, around 75 to 78 degrees Fahrenheit, and rarely drop below 60. But it's true. I remember snow in April and May. When I say that winter is the longest season in Colorado, it's not an exaggeration. The only months you're guaranteed no snow are June, July, and August. Snow typically starts in October, but can come as early as September. Three months in Colorado is all you can expect to be snow-free. It's been my long-running half-joke that most kids in Colorado have two Halloween costumes, the one they wear to school when the sun is up and everyone can see them, and the one they wear out trick-or-treating later that night in the inevitable snowstorm. No one really sees your costume on those nights, as it's hidden underneath layers of heavy winter clothes and coats. If you wanted to be a real badass, you'd wear your daytime costume out in the snow to trick-or-treat, because claiming you were above all the cold weather and fluffy white stuff falling from the sky would surely make it more bearable, and make everyone else look like a bunch of wusses. But whether you chose to play it safe and bundle up, or be awesome and freeze your ass off, one thing was certain— No kid in Colorado, especially in the 80s and 90s, was going to let a little thing like a blizzard keep them from collecting free candy. So why am I talking Halloween in an Imbolc episode? It was really more about the weather than the holiday. A lot of people ask me why I left Colorado and moved to Alabama. When they ask this, it's not really out of interest, but more a statement that they think I'd want to be in Colorado over Alabama. It's not really a question. Colorado is a great place, but it also has its dark side that only those who grew up there or lived there for any period of time would really understand. People think it sounds strange when I say that Colorado has high rates of drug abuse and suicide. Now, I'm not talking about marijuana here. It's as frustrating to me to hear people assume pagans are evil as how often people hear I'm from Colorado and have the conversation immediately turn to weed. I get it. I've said it before, stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. But when I lived in Colorado, which was for the first 31 years of my life, marijuana was not legal, and it was not the biggest thing associated with our state. Skiing, yes. Weed, no. I'm talking about other drugs, such as cocaine, meth, and crank. Colorado is in the top seven states for drug use, and in the top five for suicide rates. Why? I'll give you the top two reasons in my book, location and weather. The city I grew up in was at the foothills of the Rockies. It's much larger now than it used to be, a city as opposed to a town, but in my youth was significantly smaller. Fort Collins was a smaller mountain city, which housed CSU, a larger college that drew in people from all over. The city itself boasts its motto, the Choice City, as it was often a place people chose to move to. 
people from larger cities moving to smaller cities, especially a gorgeous city like Fort Collins, will inevitably make it grow. And what is there to do during the school year other than drugs and alcohol when you're used to bigger city life? And the second reason, the focus of my point here, the weather. When you live in a state with only three months of 12 guaranteed not to be cold enough for snow, depression sets in. Mountain town, cold weather, drugs, yet decently low crime rates. It's a spawning ground for depression and drama. People care more about making others' lives miserable and causing drama for entertainment than worrying about that person's mental stability. (laughs) Take it from me. Most of my life, I was quite literally bullied and mentally abused by my peers. And I don't mean the kind of thing people label as bullying today. I'm talking about hardcore verbal and social bullying. Kids can be cruel. I remember being in third grade, third grade, and knowing with all of my heart that Colorado was not my home and that one day I would leave. I knew I would not be there as an adult. And in my mind, it took me far too long to actually make that leap and get out. There's a long-running joke or theory that Fort Collins is like a magnet. 90% of the people who moved away after high school came back, like being pulled into the cesspool by a magnet. If someone moved away, everyone else joked and said, oh, they'll be back. People always come back. And they usually did. Not me. I knew once I left, there was no going back. And in fact, given my experiences there from about age 6 to 31... The thought of stepping foot back on Colorado soil gives me severe anxiety. I've only returned three times in almost 11 years. Once for a Christmas to visit my parents the first year I moved away. Once when my mom was in the hospital the following year. And once when she passed away. I haven't returned to Colorado since 2013. We have so many activities in summer going into fall especially in the fall, when the weather cools down just enough, and everyone's trying to get the last of their outdoor experiences in before the cold weather sets in. Winter is a beautiful time of year, a great time to turn inward, a wonderful season for introspection. But for those who suffer from seasonal affective disorder, the winter can be a lonely, stressful, and depressing time. For those who don't have families or families who are far away, The winter holidays can be a very difficult thing to face. Add in the lack of sun on dreary, darker, and shorter days that are colder, and being unable to get outside as much, it's not a surprise to me that suicide rates in a state with only three warmer months is on the high side. I promise you, I was not intending to make this episode depressing, nor to focus on the negative aspects of winter, only to explain that death is, in fact, part of winter. It's a season of hibernation and introspection, and it's particularly important for us to remember those we hear from less often and reach out. We'll dive into all the reasons winter is a wonderful, wonderful season as we near our winter season again on the Great Wheel. But right now, I want to focus on the coming of spring, which is in fact what Imbolc is all about. While Ostara festivities mean that spring is in full swing, Imbolc welcomes the stirring of spring. The stirring of life out of winter, awakening from dormancy, life from death, birth 
from sacrifice. Sometimes referred to as Candlemas, Imbolc is celebrated February 2nd, being the midpoint between the winter solstice, Yule, and spring equinox, Ostara. We welcome the sun god, who was born at Yule and is now preparing to grow in infancy, the way our spring plants and crops will soon prepare for their growth. The fire festival of Imbolc celebrates the changing of the goddess from crone to maiden, and the seasonal change as the earth warms, bringing the first signs of spring. The word Imbolc means in the belly of the mother, which is a reference both to human births and the birth of the seeds springing forth from Mother Earth. Imbolc also comes from the Old Irish oimelk, a word that means use milk, which is why Imbolc is often said to mean in milk. As the new mother goddess is now recovering from birth and nursing the infant sun god, and animals are giving birth to their first offspring of the season and producing milk themselves, Milk is a common offering during the time of Imbolc, and is a symbol that represents the hope for spring. The lighting of ritual fires is an important practice on Imbolc. Traditionally, bonfires were lit to represent birth, healing, and inspiration, as well as to honor the goddess bride. It is now tradition to light candles throughout the home in order to welcome the sun god, let go of the darkness of winter, and embrace the warmth of spring. If there's snow on the ground where you reside, it's traditional to walk outdoors and focus on warmth and sun. Many Wiccans will actually draw a sun on the snow, using their finger as a tool to focus energy and intentions of warmth. Another idea would be to simply place your palm on the snow and feel it melt under the warmth of your touch, symbolically melting away winter to bring the warmth of spring. Imbolc celebrates the Celtic goddess Brigid, also known as Bridget or Brigid the goddess of home and harvest, fire, and fertility. Celts used to make dolls of the goddess from oat or wheat straw from the previous year's harvest, and young girls would carry these corn husk dolls, also referred to as grain dollies, from home to home in a basket with white flowers as bedding, to represent the goddess waiting for her sun god consort to return to her, and would offer gifts to other households. Bonfires were lit and a feast was prepared to honor Bridget. Bridget was later adopted by Christians and referred to as St. Bridget or Bridget, the patron saint of Irish nuns, midwives, dairymaids, and cattle. This is why the stories of St. Bridget and the goddess Bridget are very similar. The pagan sun circles made from wheat stalks were then turned into the Christian symbol of a Bridget's cross. The goddess Bridget is sometimes thought to be a triple deity, as it was said she had two sisters, Bridget the Healer and Bridget the Smith, and pagans often celebrate her at Imbolc by leaving bowls of milk and corn husk dolls on their altars, or pouring milk libations into the earth. Bridget blesses any woman about to be married, which makes Imbolc a special time for pagan hand fastings, and why marriages now speak of the women being married as the bride in her honor. Many Dianic Wiccans are initiated during the time of Imbolc, and it's a great time to recharge or retake your vows of dedication to the goddess. Oftentimes, the charge of the goddess is read during these rituals, and new initiates will take on their craft names. When thinking about feasts during Imbolc, it's traditional to include milk, of course, and also foods that celebrate the sun god, such as peppers, curry dishes, yellow raisins to symbolize the sun, and spiced wines. Imbolc is also seen as a time of purification and spring cleaning. 
As we're awakening from the winter months, we feel the need for cleansing, spiritually, metaphorically, and literally within our homes. Things that have died within us in the dormancy of winter now spring forth with new life as the plants spring forth with new life and shed the death of winter. Decluttering, deep cleaning, and donations to the less fortunate are common during this time of year. Spiritually and mentally, we want to be sure that we're ready for the coming of spring by ensuring that our introspection done throughout the winter months has been successful. All of those things we looked inward to change or heal within ourselves during the winter months need to be cleared or faced to start fresh for spring. This can be done through meditation, yoga, guided journals or self-help books, with divination and shadow work. Briefly, shadow work is a concept of facing one's hidden or lingering subconscious traumas, although there's much more that goes along with it. I'll do a full episode about shadow work very soon. We also want to cleanse for the coming of spring. This idea of spring cleaning is both a literal concept, where deep cleaning and decluttering our home, office, and altar spaces, and donating unneeded items to charities is beneficial, but also a mental cleansing, letting go of habits, feelings, beliefs, and sometimes even people who no longer serve us. So why are we doing this cleansing? We're shaking off the dirt of winter and preparing for new growth and new opportunity. In order for growth to take place, we need to act on the plans we've made throughout the winter months, gain energy, recharge, and metaphorically poke our heads out of our barrows and face the world. But unlike the groundhog, we're not looking for our shadows to decide whether we move forward or stay hidden, friends. No, we know what those are, and we're ready to let them go and put ourselves forward to embrace change. Groundhog's Day was born from Imbolc. When it was decided by the Catholic Church that the goddess Bridget would now be seen in the form of St. Bridget to make the forced transition from paganism a little easier to swallow, and the Sabbath itself renamed Candlemas to celebrate that 40 days had passed since the birth of Jesus Christ, a traditional nursery rhyme was also born. If Candlemas be fair and bright, come winter, have another flight. If Candlemas brings clouds and rain, go winter and come not again. Starting to sound a bit familiar? Well, how about this? Born from this rudimentary weather-predicting tradition was the idea in 18th century Germany that farmers used to predict weather, observing the behavior of a badger on February 2nd. If the badger is in the sun at Candlemas, he will have to go back into his hole for another four weeks. When German immigrants came to the United States in the 19th century, they found that badgers were not as commonplace here in the States. So how to keep this tradition alive? Well, there's plenty of groundhogs poking around. It was time for badgers to step aside. It's now the Groundhog's Day to reign. 1886 brought the first official Groundhog Day celebration, and a year later, Puxitani Phil was deemed the official bearer of spring forecasting— And if he sees his shadow, it means six more weeks of winter. Despite what all that scientific mumbo-jumbo might have to say, it's all about the badge, uh, groundhog. But friends, even if you've heard of this transition from Imbolc to Candlemas and badgers to groundhogs, there's more. Let's dive a little deeper into the pagan origins of Groundhog's Day. How about this old Celtic verse? The serpent will come from the hole 
on the brown day of bride, though there should be three feet of snow on the flat surface of the ground. The bride in question in this Celtic verse, the virginal goddess Brigid. Here's another form of this verse. Early on bride's morn, the serpent shall come from the hole. I will not molest the serpent, nor will the serpent molest me. Another variation of this verse speaks of the goddess herself and not the snake. This is the day of bride. The queen shall come from the mound. I will not touch the queen, nor will the queen touch me. You might be asking yourself, what about this serpent? Where did the serpent come from? Well, in Scottish tradition, the goddess Kalea, the keeper or queen of winter, was known to have a venomous temper and would snap or switch her wand through the grasses and vegetation to bring forth the sun and rain of spring. Her venomous rages were thought to be the storms of spring. It's possible that over the years, the idea of Kalea's wand being switched through the grasses was replaced by the idea of a serpent symbolic of venomous temper, rushing or snapping through the grasses to bring on spring. Whichever version you want to roll with, Groundhog's Day, I mean Badger's Day, I mean the Day of the Serpent, okay, Imbolc, has pagan roots. If you're looking to bring traditions or rituals into your Imbolc Sabbath celebrations, here are just a few ideas. Meditate on the coming of spring, Welcome the sun god, or if you're not Wiccan and wish to celebrate Lupercalia instead of Imbolc, meditate on the wolf. If you're unfamiliar with the holiday of Lupercalia, I would like to suggest listening to Season 1, Episode 3, The Satanic Temple, for more information. Give offerings of milk to household pets, pour as a libation outdoors, or set in your altar area. Plant seeds to be cared for indoors until the earth is warmed by the sun god and is ready to receive them. Cut out paper snowflakes and write your plans or intentions for spring on them. Burn them and release your intentions with the smoke. Adding the ashes to your black salt will only serve to bring more energy and intention to later rituals. Purify and bless your home to make way for change and growth in the upcoming season. Focus all of your negative energy and intention into a few ice cubes. As the ice melts, your negativity will melt away with it. This would also work with candles, symbolizing the flame or sun of spring melting away the wax or snow of winter. Another candle ritual might involve putting positive energy, one positive thought or plan into each candle, and lighting them throughout your house or in your altar area on Imbolc. Allow the candle to completely burn down to manifest your intentions into reality. Another common practice during this time is a ritual or cleansing bath. Use rosemary, an herb associated with the sun and cleansing, and other things associated with the sun, such as orange peel and oils that represent warmth or the sun, such as cinnamon, cedarwood, lemon, rosemary, jasmine, or lavender, to name a few. Teas can also be made with rosemary, cinnamon, orange peel, and ginger. Try filtering some melted snow or ice to use as the base of the tea, or simply use ice cubes and allow them to melt with the herbs in a pot or kettle. Filter out the steeped herbs and stir honey, another symbol of the sun and warmth, into your tea along with your intentions. It's also a great idea to collect some of the last of the fallen snow and allow it to melt and use that at your altar the same way that you might use storm water. 
Before we part ways, I'd like to give a small shout out to various pagan accounts on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok that I find educational or entertaining, Etsy or online shops that are pagan-based, websites, books, products, and physical stores that are pagan-written, crafted, owned, and operated. This week, I'd like to shine my pagan spotlight on Moody Moons, which can be found at moodymoons.com. Moody Moons, according to their site, is an interfaith community which welcomes witches from Celtic practitioners to voodoo priestesses to Christian witches with equal enthusiasm and respect. They feature tips, recipes, ritual ideas, and many pagan crafts to help you stay connected to your journey. I'd like to draw special attention to a recipe on their site for this upcoming Sabbath. The recipe is for an imbolc honey and oat milk bath with lavender flowers. It's easy to make with only four ingredients and would make the perfect soak for your imbolc ritual bath. I'll link both their website and the link to this wonderful recipe in the podcast description. However you choose to celebrate in just six days, whether it's the Sabbath of Imbolc, Candlemas, or Lupercalia, I send you blessings for a happy and warm coming of spring. Thank you for conjuring up some time to spend with me today. And until next time, Broomies, remember, don't drink and fly. Fly.